Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Not If I Reboot You First, the show where we take popular properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. I'm Tanner. And I'm Lindsay. Uh, I almost got you before you are gonna <laughs> nosh that wine there. <laughs> yeah, probably gonna get a bit more. Yeah, and um, I'm gonna apologize beforehand if I sound scratchy or short of breath because I'm sick this week. Every part of my body is congested, and I had to spend three hours editing out all my nasal noises on last week's episode. <laughs> so this week is, like, that's me on a normal day. This week is gonna be an adventure. He's just a regular mucus monster, apparently. I, my entire family has nose genes. My, I've got, like, a post-nasal drip from my mom, and my dad's Ooh. side of the family just has really big noses, which means I've got the big nasal drip. <laughs> I got that oily discharge, which is that this is exactly what people come to this podcast to listen to. <laughs> Just <laughs> talking about all of our strange, all, all, the, things. all the fluids, the bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, did you, my mom, let's, now here's the mom section of the podcast. <laughs> because she was really pleased at the fact that she was able to guess your hint from last week. <laughs> Okay. But she was kicking herself trying to figure out what mine was, because she could not figure it out at all. So she really wants to know if you were able to figure out my hint. Well, I won't say I figured it out, but you dropped uh, a big hint when it came to the whole history part, and I'm like, is he doing the historian? No. Oh. But that might come up, actually. Yeah. No, this week... We are dealing with the uh, 1999 rip roar and adventure horror movie, The Mummy. Yeah! And I specify 1999. We're not doing last year's remake with Tom Cruise. Though remake in quotation marks, because remake. Why do they even make call it a remake? Like all it had in common was the name, The Mummy. Well, I think they called it the remake because the whole idea of the Dark Universe was that they're all remakes of the classic Universal horror films. Yeah. And, and wasn't there a Mummy movie from the 60s, I want to say, with Christopher Lee? No, Christopher Lee was Dracula. The Mummy had Boris Karloff. Okay. What was I thinking? You were thinking of Dracula. No, I wasn't. There was... All right. You go and... Give the premise, I am going to look up Christopher Lee's filmography. All right. So, The Mummy, 1999, takes place in the 1920s. Our main characters are Rick and Evie. Rick is an American soldier who has somehow found his way into the French Foreign Legion, and Evie is an Egyptologist working at the library in Cairo, if I remember correctly. And the plot starts when Evie and Rick, well... Evie and her brother Jonathan come across this, like, box that has a map to the ancient Egyptian city of Hamanatra, the city of the dead, which has been lost to time in the ages. All the archaeologists have been trying to find it, and no one's ever been able to find it. It's basically an Egyptian Eldorado, except there's zero historical basis, as far as I can tell. And so they track down Rick, who is being held prisoner, and because he's the only person alive who has found the city, and so they hire him to be their guide. They go down to Hamanoptra, they find a mummy, and turns out that this mummy is the mummy. He comes back to life, he starts eating people and bringing the ten plagues, and he's trying to resurrect his dead girlfriend because she was having an affair with him, with the pharaoh, and 
It's whole like there's scary, there's spookums, but this is very much an adventure movie, not a horror movie. Okay. And it's very different from uh the the reboot remake of The Mummy. Yes, because Christopher Lee was in a movie called The Mummy from what year was it? 1959. But was it part of the Universal Horror franchise? Uh it was one of the yeah yeah, uh, Universal International, um, produced by Hammer Film Productions. Hmm. So Hammer Horror, uh, they were they did a lot of like the really classic nineteen sixties, more of the gothic horror as okay. opposed to like the later slasher horror. Uh, I think they were kind of part of the originators of the folk horror movement in uh UK. So stuff like the Wicker Man and all that fun stuff. The Devil Rides Out. People should watch The Devil Rides Out. It is amazing. Okay. Another Christopher Lee movie. Yeah. So the 2017 reboot, which let's let's break it down. It is a, a reboot of a remake of another remake. If we want to put the Christopher Lee mummy in there. Yeah. Like the 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 yeah. mummy franchise, the extended mummy timeline is kind of just the impetus for why this podcast exists. Partly because you can delve deep into it until you reach movies like The Scorpion King 4, which is a prequel to a spinoff of a sequel of a remake of a remake. <laughs> yeah, it it's crazy. Because it all started with um, the spinoff was, what, the second Mummy movie? Yeah, the second Mummy movie, which was The Mummy Returns, and also featured Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> back back when he was still, it was like a weird sun casting to put the rock in your film and not just like the immediate money button. Yeah. Man, we need Ryan on this because he can go into detail about Dwayne The Rock Johnson's wrestling career up to that point. Yeah. Because he was still, he was the wrestler, The Rock. Yeah. Still had the people's elbow and the people's eyebrow. He still does the people's eyebrow. Oh, and then he was the Scorpion King and had the people's pincers. <laughs> He <laughs> oh was a centaur scope scorpion. It was weird. These special. There are so many really good special effects in both of the Mummy movies, like the Mummy and the Mummy Returns. Yeah, and they completely ran out of budget for the Scorpion King, the big bad of the second film, and it looks like he walked directly out of a PlayStation game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And then remember when he got stabbed with the spear, and the guy playing Emotip did the whole grand no. No, it was like a, th- a three second delay. <laughs> and he- he was like crouched down, his arms outstretched, doing the big no. It's, it's like the middle school production of The Mummy Returns, and like the lead got distracted, and the, like that poor techie is like, no, it's your cue, man, just go, just go. I still love that movie. It's such a good movie. And yeah. see, the reason I want to remake it basically is because I, I want my remake to kind of wash the taste of 2017 out of our mouths. Yeah, that attempt at the dark universe because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing in order to create a cinematic universe. Well, exactly. Which is just, it It organically happens. Precisely. Okay? Yes. So what we're doing, I'm going to start actually with the casting because I just, I like the cast that I have assembled, even though I have only have like three or four people. Okay. Now, the one thing that I do like about the 2017 mummy is that the mummy is a girl. Yeah. Because we need more ladies and we need more, we need more women with agency. 
in these yeah. kind of horror films. And um, if we have a female villain, like, not just, oh, a man did me wrong, and that's why I'm angry. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find what her name was. Uh, the one from 2017, I think it was Sophia Butella? Yes. So yeah. Sophia Butella is, once again, the mummy in this. But she's playing Anxunaman. Ooh. So we, we have a reversal, because in the original mummy, what happened was Imhotep was sleeping with Anxunamun, and she, like, they both killed the pharaoh, and then she was executed, and then he tried to resurrect her, but then he was captured, and that's how he was cursed to become the mummy. In this one, it's kind of a flip, where Imhotep was executed, and so Anxunamun tries to resurrect him. She gets captured, and she gets cursed, and so then she's the one who they, they find her corpse, and they read from the Book of the Dead and resurrect her. And that's where my hint line comes from, is Evie goes, what harm ever came from reading a book? And then she reads from the ancient mystical spell book and raises yep. the dead. So that's the harm that comes from a book. Mm-hmm. Be careful what you read, children, especially if it's titled The Book of the Dead. Okay, in real life, The Book of the Dead is just like, hey, you just died. It is like the guide to your underworld tour. Your Egyptian underworld tour? Yeah, it's like the instruction <laughs> manual. Yeah. You gotta go through here, and then you gotta go through here. Also, you need to avoid Apep or Paphos, as how most people know that. And then you're gonna get judged at some point. You're probably gonna pass. You weren't that bad. Just, you know, sometimes you get eaten by Amit, the crocodile hippopotamus dog thing. Yep. I love Egyptian mythology. Sometimes your heart is heavier than a feather. And so I guess ostrich feathers are just heavy as heck. What weighs more, a pound of steel or a pound of ostrich feathers? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then the Egyptian afterlife is pretty chill. Just make sure that you brought servants with you in the form of little dolls because they don't do uh, the human sacrifices anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we've got that. So Sophia Batella is Anxunamun. Then we've got our main cast. Now, for Rick... I have I going I'm going back and forth between two people, Jake McDorman, who most people probably recognize from the TV adaptation of Limitless. Okay. He's also playing Murphy Brown's son in the Murphy Brown reboot. Okay. And then of course the other one, John Boyega. Oh, okay. So I think either of them could bring that really good action hero swashbuckling energy where they're, yeah. they they have the capacity to be a bit of a goof. Because, like, even um, Brendan Fraser, in an interview for The Mummy, he said that he doesn't take Rick seriously because that way the audience can just go on this wild ride. They don't have to think about it. Yeah, well, he's kind of the straight everyman, in a way. Yeah. Like, he's one sort of straight everyman, whereas Jonathan is a different sort of straight everyman. Jonathan is absolutely not the straight man. Jonathan is pure comic relief. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's the skeptic, but the comic to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. The skeptic who's in over his head. Precisely. Um, but yeah, so we've got our Rick, maybe, one of them. <laughs> then we have Evie. Evie, this one was easy. She's played by our girl, Ruth Naga. Yes. Because here's the thing. Evie and Jonathan are half Egyptian. Mm -hmm. And it's like, <sighs> Rachel Weiss, you're an absolute delight, but you're also white as hell. There is no yeah. way in all nine realms that you are have a drop of Egyptian blood in you, unless it is, like, 17 generations in the yeah. past. Like, it's stretching it, but I think the closest would be she's part Austrian-Jewish, hence oh, that the last is name right. Weiss. Okay, so maybe not that far back, but still. It's, yeah. 
She's very white. She's also... Isn't she married to Daniel Craig? Is she? I was on her Wikipedia page, but I wasn't looking at that part. Um. Oh, yeah, she is. Oh, yeah. Good for her. Yep. Hey, Evie and James Bond got together. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I'd read that fic. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Ruth Naga is Evie. And then with Jonathan... I was trying to figure out, the two things I was trying to figure out was who could play him, and also, how do we make him a bit less skeevy? Because he is very much a womanizer, gold digger type of person. Yeah, well, wasn't he supposed to be, like, some sort of con man, or... That, too. um, And we can keep parts of that. But I suddenly, I had, like, a brain blast of what to do with Jonathan. Okay. So Evie now has a sister named Joanna. Ooh, okay. And she's played by Pearl Mackey. Yes. From Doctor Who. And other stuff, but most people know her from Doctor Who. Yeah. Because she has the same kind of comic relief energy that Jonathan has, and she can still be a womanizer. It just plays a lot more interesting when she's kind of like that that flirty, secret, like, incognito 1920s lesbian. Yes. The fun lesbian. You could put her into, like, flapper outfits uh, whenever they get to, like... I don't know, they're in London or Paris or wherever. Oh, yeah. They somehow end up in Berlin because, um... Berlin actually has one of the best uh, Middle Eastern archaeology fields ever. That actually uh, works really well for my idea. Okay. Because the film, like, this entire original mummy took place in Egypt. But this one we actually are going to start in London, specifically at the University of Cambridge, which I chose solely because a Hmm? That's actually up in Cambridgeshire. Okay. A, A bit north of England, but, like, you could take a train and it's, like, maybe an hour, which is considered long by British standards. We're in the the nebulous British area. (laughs) Hills, moors, bad weather, worse food. Exactly. Um, And well, I picked Cambridge just because I found that Rachel Weisz went to Cambridge. Okay. And also Cambridge had a really successful Egyptology department in the 20s. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of works. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so Evie, her whole deal is that she's like a TA at the university, but she really wants to become the head of the Egyptology department because she has gone on so many like treks and digs in Egypt because her mother is Egyptian, and so she was partly raised in Egypt. She knows all the stuff. But of course, between the being a mixed-race Black woman and being a woman, just period... She yeah. like all of her peers are just kind of looking down on her, and even like the one or two professors who think she's good at what she does are like, "Oh, but the image of the university just I don't know if people could handle that, yeah, so the plot kind of gets kicked off when Joanna shows up back from Berlin, and she's like, "Hey, okay. Evie, check yeah. out this stuff that I." obtained oh yeah in quotation and evie's like joanna you nicked that off someone she's like yeah i did but look it's a map to the lost city of hominoptera and so evie she's like she knows that she can't just go on there her on her own so she tries to like round up some colleagues but the colleagues end up just taking the map and leaving without her yeah so then she has to track down someone else who might know about hominoptera because she still has like we'll say that she made a copy of the map quickly but like it doesn't have all the details so she needs to, like, she's tracking down anyone who might have a connection with Hominoptera. And that's when she and Joanna are able to track down Rick, who is, like, right now he's this deadbeat drunk in London who, like, washed out of the Legion. He has no titles or anything to his name. 
And like he's technically he's working at a mercenary, but that would require him to actually be working. And no one wants to hire this garbage man. Who that's yeah. what he is right now. Yeah. And so Evie and Joanna show up, and they're like, "We can pay you this much money now because Joanna's loaded because she keeps stealing stuff from people." <laughs> and then you can also keep 25% of everything that we find in the city. And Rick's like, well, we're going to die if we go there, but there's literally nothing happening for me here. And you're kind of cute. So let's go. <laughs> okay. And so we're off to Egypt. So, um, fun fact, uh, the Noises Museum in Berlin is home to the Nefertiti bust that everybody knows. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's part of their Egyptian Museum and Papyrus Almlong. Did Joanna try and steal that too? Why not? Or at least she could imply, (laughs) yeah, I might have attempted to steal the Nefertiti bust. (laughs) I can dig it. Yep. But yeah, so we head down to Cairo where the university boys are like basically the first act is a race to get to Hamanoptra between the university old school boys and Rick, Evie, and Joanna. And along the way, they run into the other classic characters from Mummy 199, like Benny, the lovable thief and former colleague of Rick's who just cowardly pieced out of the Legion after supernatural stuff started happening at Hamanoptra. Yep. And we also come across Ardeth Bay, who leads the Magi. I don't know who's going to play Ardeth Bay. It could be Rami Malek, actually, now that I think about yeah. it. Yeah, or Rami Malek could play Imhotep. Maybe. Well, we'll get to or- Imhotep. Because remember, it's yeah. right now it's Anksunamun, okay. who's the yeah. mummy. Yeah. And for like the most part of this first act, it does follow the same kind of deal that they get to Hamanoptra. And there's, there's this weird feeling that everyone has. And they do get attacked by the Magi, who are... I don't know if there's any real historical basis for the Magi, but they're kind of like the ancient Egyptian Illuminati. There is some historical basis. So uh, they're from the New Kingdom. They're also called the Magi, the Mazoi, the Magi, the Magi. There's various spellings for it. Um, Romanization is a grab Yeah, Romanization, Grecification, all that sort of stuff. They were an elite paramilitary police force serving as desert scouts and protectors of areas of pharaonic interest, the Egyptian term medj, which uh, from which the name Magi was derived, originally referred to a region in northern Sudan and southern Egypt inhabited by an ancient nomadic tribe of Nubians, who were employed by the Egyptians as mercenaries. They formed a complex public administration very similar to a national police force. Gradually, the term came to describe their force itself. Uh, during the Middle Kingdom of, a- of Egypt, ancient Egyptians were appreciative of their skill in combat and therefore employed them as uh, gauchos, infantry soldiers, and explorers to spy on foreigners at their border because the ancient Egyptians were super xenophobic. During the 18th dynasty, the Magi were referred to as an urban police with a separate hierarchy independent of other authorities, Uh, but they weren't mentioned after the 20th dynasty, which was about uh, 1189 to 1077 BCE. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, the yeah. ancient Egyptian Illuminati at this point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, so they get attacked by the Magi, and they're like, this place is evil, I should not be here, like, leave. And Evie's like, well, that was weird. Hey, do you want to go dig up a tomb? <laughs> and everybody's like, Evie, no! Evie, yes! <laughs> 
And so they go digging, and they Evie's group is able to uncover the mummy, whereas uh, the English old boys find other stuff, like they find the Book of the Dead, they find the Canopic Jars, and when they open stuff, like they unleash the curse. Um, Evie reads from the book, and she resurrects Anxunamun, who starts trying to kill the old boys. And just a slight change that I made is that instead of, in the movie, Imhotep had to kill the people who opened his tomb in order to regenerate himself. Mm-hmm. In this one, I'm going to say that uh, Anxunamun just regenerates herself over time naturally, but yeah. she's killing the old boys to steal their organs, the ones that go in the canopic jars, yeah. because Imhotep's were destroyed. Yeah, and so, so we should probably just, like, say what actually goes in canopic jars. It's just the bits, you know. <laughs> we're just putting some uh, bits in jars. Yeah. Uh, canopic jars... Sorry, I am actually looking this up because there might be some people who are interested in this and don't actually know what they are. I am too. Here we go. Uh, the boom head, the baboon-headed god Happy represents the north. Um, jar contains the lungs and was protected by Nephthys. Uh, da, da. Duwamutef was the jackal-headed god who represents the east. Jar contained the stomach and was protected by the goddess Neith. Nice. Imseti was a human-headed god representing south whose jar contained the liver and was protected by the goddess Isis, and Kabesenwef, the falcon-headed god representing the west, whose jar contained the intestines and was protected by the goddess Circuit. Awesome. Because there will be lessons in, e- in Egyptology, and yes, there is a quiz. <laughs> but yeah, so we've got lungs, stomach, liver, and guts, basically. Where did the heart go in mummification? I think the heart was still in the body, because you needed that for something, I want to say. Oh, well, you had and to then, take it with you to the underworld to get it weighed. Yeah. And then the brains, of course, are famously... Yeah, they, um, they take a hot poker. They, they even describe it in the 1999 Mummy movie. They take a hot <laughs> poker, stick it up your nose, swirl everything around, and then just pull it out. Yep. Which is what's because- going to happen to me at some point when I keep blowing my nose. <laughs> okay. Have I ever told you that I kind of do want to be mummified Egyptian style? Can you put that in a will? <laughs> I am going to see if that can be done. We can mummify <laughs> you and then, like, put it in your will, like, mummify me, and then, like, after everyone has forgotten who I am, a hundred years after my death, sell me <laughs> to be eaten as an herbal remedy. <laughs> or turn me into paint. <laughs> <laughs> what kind, what color of paint do mummies make? Brown. Really? Very, you went to all was, that work just to make brown paint? It was a very particular type of brown. It's called mummy brown. Oh my god, that's the most bougie shade <laughs> of brown. Yeah, it was a thing. Um, Let's see, mummy brown was a rich brown bitumous paint pigment in- intermediate in tint between burnt umber and raw umber, which was one of the favorite colors of the pre-Raphaelites. Oh my god, that's the most <laughs> hipster bullshit. <laughs> and the pre-Raphaelites, as much as I love them, were fucking hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this there, is also on the quiz. There does need to be a scene in our mummy reboot where, like, we catch one of the British old boys just trying to snack on one of the exhibits. <laughs> He's just got a hand, and he tries to take a little bite, and then Evie shows up and is like, Oh, Professor Guillory! And he's like, Oh, what's going on? I'm not teaching a mummy hand! 
Well, okay, aside from that, um, there have been Egyptologists who have um, opened up tombs and have found offerings there, um, and like the honey has survived in pretty good shape. And I wouldn't we can, recommend... We can dip the ancient cheese in the honey. <laughs> like, I would, wouldn't recommend it, but at the same time, honey is just carbon. Can we drink the? Can we drink that sarcophagus juice now? <laughs> no, we are not drinking the sarcophagus juice. God. I'm gonna drink the sarcophagus juice and ascend to another level of existence. <laughs> now we've gone from hipsterish to fucking millennials. <laughs> oh no, you you know that the pre-Raphaelites would love to drink some of that sarcophagus juice. Yeah, yeah, they would. That, that's like their equivalent of shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> or or the detergent pod thing that happened. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> who's okay, who's a famous Paraphalite painter? Oh, um William Holman oh my, Hunt. Yeah. Oh my god, they call themselves the fucking Brotherhood. Or Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Yeah, there's a name. What up, fam? It's your boy Dante Gabriel Rossetti here with the sarcophagus juice challenge. <laughs> Well, he was Italian. Okay, he was, like, born and raised in the UK, but still, Italian. I imagine him as being something of the British version of a Guido. (laughs) (laughs) Remember to smash that like button. (laughs) Like and subscribe. (laughs) Was the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood just the historical version of Team 10? Probably. Then what would the, uh... What would the romantics like Byron and Shelley, the Shelleys and all of them be? <laughs> no, this, they would actually be cool. Be, this might be a cursed phrase, but <laughs> is Jake Paul just the reincarnation of Byron? The thing is, Byron was actually kind of cooler. Okay, but... so who's a cool YouTuber who's also a bit of a garbage person? No, because I don't think they would actually be a YouTube personality. They might be more on the podcast side of stuff. Hmm, I think this is a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> try to try to figure out which famous podcasters are just reincarnations <laughs> of the romantics. <laughs> <laughs> Did Byron write rabbits? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Byron would totally be doing like the no, the Shelleys would would be doing the fucking uh, Pacific Northwest stories, like yes. all of them. Yeah. So much so. <laughs> and being overly pretentious about it. Because it's all fucking pretense. Yeah. Okay, we will get to those podcasts eventually. That'll be a, that'll be a new podcast. Yeah. Uh, hey. where, God, where <laughs> were we? I remember we were in Egypt and the rest is a blur. <laughs> we were talking about the Canopic Jars and an Unks and Amun getting her body back. Right. So Unks and Amun, she's regenerating herself naturally. But she's uh, stealing the bits from the English Old Boys Club to put into Imhotep's canopic jars in order to okay. resurrect him. Yeah, because are we still keeping the method of death for Imhotep? Like the whole no, that was transferred over to Anxunamun. Okay, where she because like Imhotep was mummified normally, but Anxunamun was like she got the curse where like they mummify her alive or they cut out her tongue and her eyes. Then I'm, they mummify her while she's still alive, and then she like. Gets put in this the sarcophagus with a bunch of flesh-eating scarabs. Okay. 
Yeah. It was like the curse that pervades eternal torment, but if anyone ever resurrects them, then they become all-powerful and can control the beasts of the desert and all the sands of the desert and also just cause the ten plagues to happen. Did Set create this as a big middle finger to Osiris and Horus? So? We are not even touching Set in this because Set in, is shows up in the 2017 Mummy and he is the oh. devil and also Tom Cruise. Oh, oh God. Here's the thing about Set. Set... Okay, Set is a bastard, but he's like a bastard a la Loki from Norse mythology. I think he's a bit worse than Loki. Okay, he's a... Yeah, there was also like... Look, he's bad, but at the same time, like, he's got... He's got this really important job when it comes to protecting Ra's body during um, nighttime, which is when Ra goes through the underworld. Dead. Mm-hmm. and he was also the guardian of the desert. So you actually wanted to call upon him if you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere, and you didn't want to be eaten by, well, or, you know, die within 24 hours due to lack of water, because that will happen. Oh, yeah. Um, Pray but then so that water shows up in the form of a snoot beast. Yeah. But um, it was during, I want to say, the end of the New Kingdom, uh, when the Hyksos... There were a uh, Semitic people came in, ruled for a while. I think that they were following the Persians, I want to say. And uh, they associated their chief god, Hadad, with Set. And the Egyptians did not like that because, as I said earlier, the ancient Egyptians were fucking xenophobic as hell. Mm-hmm. I do like that no one has any idea what Set's head is supposed to be. So it's just referred to as the Set animal. Yeah, um, the theories range from a fennec fox, some sort of, like, early greyhound, to, um, a donkey or an anteater, or maybe even a a giraffe. (laughs) This asshole giraffe god. (laughs) Like, fennec fox makes sense. Yeah, that works. It reminds me of an aardvark. Well, that's also where the anteater idea came from. Oh, yeah. Anteaters don't have as big ears, though. Yeah. Aren't Aardvarks do live in Africa. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think they they were specifically, uh, Egyptologists specifically think that maybe it was an aardvark. Um, he's also, Set's also associated with, um, little donkeys, fennec foxes, and, um, hippopotamus. Hippopotami. Uh, it's definitely not a hippopotamus on his head. Yeah. Um, honestly, the hippopotamus was kind of a later thing that happened. Um, I think it was after the whole Hyksos invasion. Okay. God, aardvarks are so ugly. I love them. (laughs) Is there an aardvark Pokemon? No, there isn't. Oh my god, okay. There's an anteater, but it doesn't have the- Heatmore does not have the charm of an aardvark. God, aardvarks, they look like pigs where something went wrong. (laughs) We need an aardvark Pokemon that is, like, the starter for a region. Like, a desert region. It can be... The fire starter! It would be in in Egypt. There needs to be a whole Egypt Yeah, a whole Egypt thing. And then you could have, like, the big uh, water course that's, like... There's some differences because people complain about the water routes being boring. Well, you can change up the animals and all Mm -hmm. that. Aardvark. Okay. So the aardvark can be the grass type starter, and then we can have a hippo for the water type, and then a cobra for the fire type. Yes, I like that. Because they've also haven't done a uh, snake 
uh, starter yet. Yeah. No, they have. They have, but it was a grass name. Right. And if they are actually doing the whole every fighter starter is also a Chinese Zodiac animal, they haven't done the snake yet. Yeah, they still have snake, ox, rabbit. Um... Goat. Um... And rooster. No, they have done rooster. That was torture. Yeah. Um... Isn't there another horse? They haven't done horse. Right. Welcome back to our Pokemon podcast, everybody. <laughs> hey, maybe for a special, we'll make a region. I like how we, <laughs> if if we follow the route back to the actual topic at hand, we do not actually progress any further. We came back from one tangent to go on a completely different one. <laughs> to talk about set because i'm like hey let's add in this egyptian deity yep because hollywood gets all all of the egyptian gods completely wrong seth is evil and they're all white and we don't actually know what they do they're kind of weird because they all have animal heads and they don't seem as charismatic as the greek gods because let's face it the greek gods have charisma for days and not in a good way yeah, <laughs> we're all looking at you, Zeus. I want an entire movie about Isis and her dildo necklace. <laughs> I would like something to be done about that whole myth about Sekhmet, like nearly killing all of humanity until she got drunk, and yes. then she turned into the party goddesses. Yep. <laughs> Oh, just like one of those girls' night out movies, <laughs> yeah. but with but with like Sekhmet and Kali, and <laughs> oh my who's God. who's the third goddess who can go from chill to violent at the drop of a hat? Uh, let's see. Hera is always not chill. Um, but she get, she goes from passive aggressive to regular aggressive. Yeah. So yeah, just a a, a, a girls' night out movie with Hera, like Hera, <laughs> Kali, and Sakret, just going out on the town, just having a party. <laughs> this totally isn't going to lead to the end of the world as we know it. It's just a fun girls' night out murder party. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Hera sees one of her boyfriend's exes and is just like, damn near rips her eyes out. <laughs> okay. So let's get so- back on track the third time. <laughs> we do get to the point where um actually no, okay, so Evie gets kidnapped to help resurrect Anksunamun in the original. But since we're resurrecting Imhotep, let's get have Rick get kidnapped instead. Ooh. And so then Evie and Joanna have to team up with Ardeth Bay to like track down where they're resurrecting Imhotep. And then this act also kind of follows the progression of the original movie, just with the some roles reversed. And so they have to go through the tomb, they have to fight off the flesh-eating scarabs. Uh, they get there, and Anxuna Moon like resurrects some ple- some priests just to act as the mooks. Yeah, and then something 
here's where mine just kind of takes a bit of a turn is that something goes wrong with the ceremony and so Imhotep gets caught between like being fully resurrected and trapped between the underworld and Angstana Moon is trying to like drag his soul back into the world of the living and he's yeah. trying to drag her into the Lord of the Dead and he's like you'll never you're not strong enough to resurrect me like let's be together once again in death and Angstana Moon is like no I actually like being alive and Evie takes this opportunity and is like Listen, he took advantage of you, he corrupted you, and he made you give up your life for his sake, and he's just using you to bring himself back into the world. You don't need him. Just kind of like convince Aung Moon, because through this movie we will see that uh, she is, she's a little bit sympathetic, like she's evil, she's super evil, she's yeah. taking people's yeah. bits. But she's a little bit sympathetic, and she kind of like misses that she lost her life, and she wants to be able to just exist in the world to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so Evie convinces Angstuna Moon to say, you know what? No, screw I'm breaking up with you, Imhotep. And just shoves and once him back again, into the underworld. Yeah. And once again, Imhotep gets thrown under the bus because he wasn't actually that bad of a dude as far as anybody could tell. Yep. He's He gets a little bit of, not redemption, but like humanity in the second yeah. Mummy movie. But in this yeah. one, it's like, no, he's just the asshole ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And in reality, all that we really know is that he was a really good architect and, um, like, father of surgery before uh, Hippocrates. It could just be a different Imhotep. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what is it with this historical idea that everyone had a different name from each other? Yeah, like, what happened to, like, the, I don't know, Akkadian equivalent of John and Mary? Actually, they're just have... they're just regular folks. Yeah, yeah. There was probably like at least half a dozen other emotabs out there. Exactly. There's like seven different Euripides. Yeah. And let's not even go into all of the Alexanders and Philips and Leonides and Yeah. Oh dear God, I have been listening to so many podcasts about Rome because when I think I am done with the Roman Republic, somebody else is like, oh yeah, let's talk about the Roman Republic because it's kind of topical right now, especially the fall and dear God, all of the people with the same fucking name. There was a guy who, okay, Caesar's assassinated, they have the funeral for him, Rome is rioting, they find this one guy who has the same name as one of the conspirators and they kill him thinking that this poet was one of the conspirators. Smooth Yeah, move. Cassius. Cassius. That's who, who it was. Don't even get me into the whole, like, there was a time when the Roman Romans didn't even, like, give their daughters their own individual names to tell them apart. They're just like, okay, you have, like, two daughters. So one is um, Julia Major and the other is Julia Minor. <laughs> <laughs> it's How Daniel the- and the cooler Daniel. I'm just like, how the fuck do you tell them apart? <sighs> yeah. Great Jupiter. Anyways. <laughs> we'll get to Rome eventually. Because oh, I want to. I'm yeah. sure. That, that's in your court. Oh, yeah. So Anxuna Moon, she breaks up with him. Hotep sends him back to the underworld. Uh, Evie's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Now you can finally be at peace. And Anxuna is like, uh, n- no, I'm going to live forever. Now my reign of terror can begin. And I don't need to share it with a man. <laughs> And she tries to kill the party, and they're basically able to detain her, and they like trigger the ancient Egyptian self-destruct button that all these temples have. And Opportuna so starts playing. Yeah, it starts collapsing into the sands. They're run out of there. Oxana Moon is trapped as the temple collapses, da-da-da-da-da. And then similar to 
Actually, no, because they don't really ride off into the sunset. They get out of the temple, and they're like, oh, and Evie's like, oh, all that history was lost. And Rick's like, yeah, but also you're not dead, so this whole thing actually turned out 500% better than I thought it would. And yeah. then Joanna's like, yeah, also I stole all this treasure, so we're super rich now. Yay! Um, Then we flash forward a few months, and we're back in Cambridge, where Evie has been promoted to the head of the Egyptology department, mainly because she has demonstrated her exceeding skill at locating the city of Hamanoptera and all the archaeological finds in there, and also because half of the department did get eaten by a mummy. <laughs> and while she's there, she's like going through some notes from like people congratulating her and people saying they want to work with her, and she uh, finds this one letter from a uh, Professor von Helsing, and then Rick comes in... <laughs> So yeah, so that's the thing, is that, like, she and Rick, they had to go off, like, have a little romantic dinner to celebrate her being promoted, but she does get a letter from Von Helsing, and we show it, but it's not, like, a huge, like, chord is played while it shows the letter, yeah, it's just no, it's there. not. it's not Nick Fury showing up to talk about the Avengers Initiative. No. Here is Nick Fury showing up to talk about the Avengers Initiative. We get to a post-credit scene, and we uh, cut to like the scene of the temple's destruction, and we see another woman there who she's like got like glasses, and she's dressed very, um, like like a like a lady boffin basically. Yeah. So she's got that kind of dress and like the boots and gloves. She's dressed like she's not necessarily ready for an adventure, but ready to do a science. And she's like okay. looking out over with binoculars over the thing, and then she's like, consults her notes, and she's like. Well, yes, this seems like a good place in any to restart grandfather's research. Come, Igor! And then, like, <laughs> a guy with a hunch, like, walks up, and he's got a shovel, and so does she, and they start start digging up through the remains of the temple. Because, of course, the Frankensteins are like that. So, yeah, so that's how, if there's any kind of dark universe that occurs, that's how it begins, with tiny little nuggets. Yeah, we're not sure... We're at Universal, we're not sure if this is going to work, but hey, if you stick around for the post credit scene, like, here's this cool bonus. If the reception's great, we'll, we might greenlight light something. Yeah, because I do love the idea of a dark universe. Yeah. And, like, bringing all these universal horror creatures together, and I don't know if it's going to be, like, an Avenger-style thing, where they all have to come together to fight Dracula or something, or if it would just be like a casual, we all exist in the same universe, and all these creatures keep running into each other. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to figure out uh, who owns what of Hammer. Because um, most of this stuff originates from the Hammer Horror movies. Yeah, and, well, there is uh, a Universal Horror Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. the Universal Classic Monsters. Okay. And so, once this thing loads... We got... There's several different, like, sub-franchises within, within this. So we yeah. have the Phantom of the Opera. We have Dracula okay. and Frankenstein. Yeah. There's adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe stories. Yeah. There's The Mummy, The Invisible Man, The Wolfman, Gorilla Girl. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Inner Sanctum Mysteries, which is apparently based off of a series of radio shows that were then adapted into films. Ooh, cool. And a lot of people, when the Dark Universe first was first announced and they're trying to figure out how is this even going to work, they thought that the Inner Sanctum would be kind of like the S.H.I.E.L.D. equivalent of this. Okay. Um, we've got The Creeper, which I've never heard of. Um, we've yeah. got Gilman, and then we have Abbott and Costello. Of course. But yeah, so yeah. I'm thinking this would be 
a shared universe in the sense of The Conjuring, whereas instead of this, like, build up to a whole big bad, it's just Rick and Evie, and they eventually become associates of, like, Professor Von Helsing and Victoria Frankenstein and stuff like that, where they just become embroiled in their own stuff, and they have to help each other out with, like, yeah, this supernatural shit went wild. Yeah, because, okay, speaking about uh, Van Helsing, so... I remember way back in the day, I wanted to do a bit of a crossover between Dracula and Harry Potter. And I came up with the idea that Abraham Van Helsing was a squib, but various members of his family are, in fact, part of the Wizarding World. So they kind of have this family tradition of being, um, they'll sometimes be aurors, sometimes they're just doing their own thing regarding various fantastic beasts and where to find them. Mm-hmm. Sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that might actually figure figure into any plans I have for um, rebooting that franchise. Oh, they also have the rights to The Man Who Laughs. Okay. Which, if I remember correctly, yeah, that's the guy who was part of the inspiration for The Joker. Ooh. Because he's, well, visually, because he's just like a cir- part of a circus freak show, and he's got this condition that puts his mouth in a permanent rictus grin. Ooh. Ooh. But he's like, he's very much... um kind of like how we see the hunchback in modern times where yeah. he's this like this gentle soul with a terrifying visage yeah yeah but anyway i was thinking that if universal wanted to do like their dark universe don't have it be like everything is driving towards this one goal i don't even think marvel initially had a real idea about where like the actual team up was going to be no, I think Kinda. they. I think they. Or had an they idea. had the, they had the idea of like eventually, like we got to fight Thanos at some point, but it was getting there that was pretty like up in the air. Well, because um, I know with with Marvel, the reason they decided to do a shared universe was because they were like they started their own film studio, and then they were going yeah. through all the films that they still had the rights to, and they realized, hey, we have basically all the founding Avengers. Yeah. So let's see if we can do an Avengers movies. And it just started with these little nuggets. And like after it was basically after the success of Iron Man 2 that they decided, oh, okay, we can go full force. Yeah. And wasn't that about the time that Disney bought them or? Um, I think it was 2014. No. Yeah. No, it was way before oh. that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because at some point Marvel declared bankruptcy. 2009. Yeah. So it was actually right after hulk incredible hulk okay yeah yeah and then you got the mouse's money so now you can do just about anything yeah and it was like even with marvel because they had a whole plan ahead they i think they unveiled up to phase three their plans yeah before four had come out even okay so they did actually have like a plan whereas i think with a, a monster movie verse like universal it it actually should be a bit more like the comic book industry up until like the events started taking over yeah where it's like everybody has their own thing they're doing their own thing all separately and then once in a while there'll be a team up or whatever and maybe there is like a big crossover for something big enough yeah and i think if there was a big crossover it would be its own story it wouldn't necessarily be a remake yeah but yeah, for the most part, I would I would imagine it would be much like the uh, Marvel def- the the Marvel Netflix shows, the Defenders shows, where yeah. they did have the Defenders, but also especially post Defenders, there was a lot of just people walking in and out of other people's shows. Yeah, and so I like well, that where it's yeah. just a movie 
where it it is the Frankenstein movie, but Rick and Evie show up in supporting roles, or it's the mm-hmm. Wolfman movie, but you you know stuff happens that you know it takes place in the same universe as like Invisible Man or something like that. Yeah. Um, there could be something involving Dracula. If we go down the route that Dracula is also Vlad Tepish, the connective tissue is, with, like, say, the mummy is uh, through the Ottoman Empire at some point. Yes. For continuing on, because I, if I do choose to do uh, more Dark Universe reboots going forward, <laughs> I do like this idea that uh, Aung San Amun is trying to, like, unlock the secrets of immortality so that she can never be killed again, basically. And so yeah, that is what so, leads her to track down Dracula and track down the workings of Frankenstein, that kind of stuff. So by immortality, are we thinking, like, at least in her mind, godhood? Possibly? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, yeah. Because I like that. And then, um, what was it? Oh yeah, and like also, just setting-wise, bring everything up to around that 1920s era. Yeah. Like a more, a more pulpy era. Yeah, more pulpy, and like, given the like politics and sort of way that the world worked at the time, it's a lot easier to travel in a way. Yes. You can go to a lot of places. There's a lot of stuff going on. You can have interesting subplots going on. You can have interesting characters with interesting backstories and interesting settings. Like, um, I remember uh, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which was... A mess. It was a mess. It was like cool premise, really bad execution. Yeah, and like the setting is really cool because China from the nineteen, from nineteen eleven when they overthrew the last emperor up until World War like nineteen thirty seven when the Japanese actually went full on okay we're taking over the place, and then eventually nineteen forty nine when the communists took over was a fucking wild place like Manchuria was basically Mad Max. Wow, he yeah. Like, I told you once about the one warlord who was called the Three Great Don't Knows. I don't think so. Okay, this is when I was taking my Shanghai and Tokyo class. Right, And right. Um, one of the warlords mentioned during the warlord period was a guy, I forget his name, but he was known as Three Great Don't Knows. Because nobody knew how much money he had, how many troops he commanded, or how many concubines he had in his harem. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he straight up just numbered. His concubines. You're Julia Major, you're Julia Minor. (laughs) In his case, he, like, yeah, he had a whole bunch of, like, Chinese concubines, but there's, like, so many different dialects of Chinese that it doesn't really matter. And then he also had, like, he had a couple French concubines, a couple Russian concubines, I think there might have been a couple English girls in there, like, maybe some girls from India. That's concerning. Yeah, yeah. That's why he was called the Three Great Don't Knows. Wild. <laughs> I know. China in the 1920s was fucking awesome. Yeah. I think I think the reason the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor didn't work is because no one had the heart in it. Like, yeah, the only two returning every- people were Jonathan and Rick, because and Evie was replaced by a different actress, and yeah. their kid was all grown up. And I liked their kid. I liked their kid yeah. as a kid. Yeah. Like, I think it would have been great. I remember um, there was a Mummy animated series on, I want to say it was YTV. Yeah, it was iffy. Yeah, like, there were moments where it was really great. And they actually did. It's no mummies alive, though. Yeah, I know. I know. But hey, to their record, they actually, you know, would dive into 
uh, Egyptian mythology. I think they also crossed over with, with some Greek stuff because I remember there was this one episode that involved the catacombs of Paris, and in there was a Minotaur. Huh. I I forget how the Minotaur got there, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Because the Minotaur's in a labyrinth, and the catacombs of Paris are the labyrinth. Yeah. It's super easy to get lost. If you ever take a tour on there, stay on the fucking tour. People have died. But, like, that was interesting, and I- The Minotaur was a Magi. Okay. And he was a good guy. He chose to become a Minotaur to protect the scrolls of Thebes from Napoleon. He dwelled beneath the Paris catacombs until he encountered the O'Connells. He was thought to be okay. buried by the rubble, only to resurface in the series finale where he helped the O'Connells stop Imhotep from raising the army of Anubis. Why is Anubis always a- f- uh, Is it because he's, like, the guardian of the dead? Yeah, they- He's not, like- He's not even the god of death. He's, like, the- He's a psychopomp. Yeah. He prepares you during mummification, and he, he helps you out during your journey under- Into the underworld. He- it was like him and Thoth who wrote the Book of the Dead, which is, again, basically your tour guide. <laughs> Anubis is a bro. Yeah. You know what? Fucking Judeo-Christian Christian tradition and the whole idea that Satan is, like, the source of all fucking evil. And due to various translation issues, like, Hades and thus Pluto get turned into the fucking devil... And the Greek underworld is obviously our underworld, even though like our the Christian conception of of um, hell didn't develop until Dante wrote the Inferno. Yes, there aren't that many death gods who are actually antagonistic. Although I guess Hela is one of them, and only because it's like I'm Loki's daughter, and you fucked with my dad. That's true, and, and also then- killed my brothers and turned them turn their viscera into the chains that bound Loki to that stone until Ragnarok happens. Like, she's got reasons. Yeah. Also, Izanami, who's not necessarily evil, but she's she is- pissed off. Yeah. And she's kind of- she's a little bit of a zombie, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. Look, she's- she's still perma-angry at Izanagi for, I don't know, being kind of a wimp. Yeah. Valid. Like, there's, um- a Mongol god of the underworld who's kind of antagonistic, but, like, the Mongol... Like, East Asia has a very different concept of good and evil, and it ties in with their whole idea of, like, the yin-yang and maintaining balance. Mm -hmm. Balance isn't what... Look, there's a lot of translation issues, okay? Yeah, we're not experts. No. I took, like, three times as many Eastern religion classes as you did, and I am not an expert. Yeah, and... I only know so much about what the Christian underworld is like because, you know, they had to draw from somewhere and they usually drew from Greco-Roman myth. Yeah. And even then, like, Dante's Inferno was fucking, like, revenge fic because he sent a whole bunch of guys he didn't like down into hell because he was also writing during, like, this big conflict between the Holy Roman Empire and the and the Pope. It, it was one of many. <laughs> Super complicated. It was also a big dynastic fight between like these two possible heirs to the Austro-Hungarian throne. Okay, look up the Guelph-Hohenstaufen feud. I can't spell that. You're gonna have to send me a link later. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. Uh, <laughs> basically, Game of Thrones is nothing on this. Okay. Yeah. 
Also I'm, the- I'm looking at a list of death deities right now, trying to spot out ones yeah. I know of. I think in some vo- some uh, voodoo uh, variations, there are some death deities that are not liked, nice. but there are still people that will like yeah. pray to them because they still do good stuff. Yeah. Um. Maybe the Aztec death gods, because... Uh- <laughs> Look, the Aztecs used to sacrifice so many fucking people, nobody really liked them. But here's the thing, with with the Aztecs, but also with the uh, Babylonians, do we count the death deity as specially antagonistic when all the gods were a little bit antagonistic? Yeah. Let's be honest, like, the Mesopotamian gods, like, they created humans to serve them. They they were pretty straightforward in how fucked up the situation is. And the, the Babylonian underworld was the worst, because all you do is you just eat, you turn into a bird and eat clay, and that's it. It doesn't even matter how good you are in life. Yeah. You're just a clay <laughs> bird. Life sucks, just deal with it. Like, it's no wonder religions like Judaism and Islam became popular, or Zoroastrianism if you're over in Persia or Iran nowadays. Further out east, um, you know, contact with the Buddhists, like Afghanistan used to be a big center for buddhism until islam came about because you know what their big things were they gave people fucking hope yeah um so do you have anything else to add to uh the mummy returns returns (laughs) (laughs) um i think uh Man, I haven't even finished my second glass of wine, and I'm starting to act like I'm fucking drunk. Um, <laughs> At least I haven't I fallen think, asleep. I th- <laughs> I'm not that bad. Um, I think the big thing going forward with Onk Moon um, is to flesh out, like, eventually why she wants to become basically a god. Um, does she want to be, like, soul god, or is she okay with just, like, joining the other gods? Um, oh, is she, is she gonna pull in? What was his an name? Auten? Akhenaten? <laughs> an Akhenaten? An <laughs> Akhenaten? Oh my god! I don't know why people haven't turned that whole entire fucking thing into a HBO drama yet. <laughs> <laughs> Put that down as something more that we're gonna fucking adapt the entire reign of Akhenaten. Holy <laughs> fuck! I I do remember this the one comic where it's like. Um, at a boardroom meeting, and people are asking for suggestions on how to improve the thing. Because it's one of those comics that gets changed for every meme. Yeah. Hang on, I'm googling Akhenaten memes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh man. I remember back I found it! I found the comic! Oh my god! (laughs) Okay, lads, any ideas how to make Hera of Egypt extra edgy and memorable? More pyramids. Nile stuff. Monotheism. There's a glare, (laughs) and they're just tossed out the window. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah egypt all of egypt was like we do not talk about akhenaten <laughs> and then you get to like first edition scion where it's like akhenaten believes so powerfully in monotheism that he became god and is also evil well because he was a dick about it he was basically henry the eighth for ancient egypt you just refilled that wine glass <laughs> Yes, I did. You were on three wine glass. <laughs> I got the Tetra right here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Fucking I Shiraz. thought that was like a bottle of like Oasis brand fruit juice when I first saw it. <laughs> nope. 
<laughs> the province of Ontario is fucking great. Okay, please tell people where you can find it on the internet before you pass out. <laughs> I can be found at Lindsay Mitchell 476 That's Lindsay spelled with an A on Twitter. From there, you can get to my Tumblr, my uh, Pinterest, and my Instagram. I think my Tumblr, though, is for the Franny Fisher uh, incorrect quotes. I mean, you use that more often than your main Tumblr. Yeah. Well, I got it, like, automatically updating, so I gotta add some more stuff. I have not updated my Power Rangers blog queue in, like, a month. Hey, I've started compiling this again, because I actually started to use Tumblr again. Okay. Um, But anyways, you can find me on the internet uh, at SparkyUpstart on Twitter and sparkyyoungupstart.tumblr.com if you want to risk venturing into my Tumblr. It's still kind of sporadic, and also it's a Tumblr, so any caveats for any Tumblr blog do apply. Yeah, um, Tumblr is a, um, it's a very dark place now. Tumblr's a website, and that's being generous. Yeah. Um, you can also find us, uh, this podcast itself on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. It's, uh, right? Those are the right letters? Yes. I'm not even <laughs> pretending that we have a spiel. <laughs> We're just gonna my favorite murder this for the rest of our fucking lives. Exactly. Look. Listen. Look and listen. <laughs> now we just need our own version of Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Flower, do you want a cookie? Pained whimpering. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking for a bigger dog. Maybe I'll get a husky. They're fucking drum- dramatic. Oh my gosh. Um, and we're also part of the super fun network uh, at real SFN Twitter. You, you know, you probably know the things, everything, anything important is in the show notes. Yeah. Go check them out. Yep. And oh yeah, network is run by my brother. Here's something that we we should state that I don't think I normally state. Um, rate and review us on iTunes and or Apple podcasts. Yeah. It helps us get popular. Um, you can also rate and review us and follow us on Podbean, which is the other place that we're available. Right now, we're just available on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. I don't even know if I want to bother with Google Play because it sounds like it's a pain. Yeah, but we might want to bother with uh, Spotify. Yeah, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Podknife, Podslice, Podboot. <laughs> Pod whatever. Oh yeah, I also, um, I'll take this moment to thank Jake Mason of the Hey Jake and Josh podcast cult to for <laughs> shouting us out in the intermission of the latest Pokemon World Tour United. Uh, you're a good man, Jake. You're a good man with a good heart and good hair. <laughs> um, <yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. That's been... Um, no, that's, you're, you have to give me the hint, Lindsay. Oh, fuck, I haven't even thought about anything. We have to do it tomorrow, Lindsay. Oh, fuck. If you want, we could trade, and I can do one of my topics tomorrow night. And then that gives you time to do something for the 11th. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. Okay. So then, in that case, Lindsay, let me think. Uh, You know what? I'll still use my original topic, though. Uh, Lindsay, do you want a hint for what I'm going to be bringing for the next episode? Sure. So next episode, we're going to go back in time and shake Sinatra's hand. Okay. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see you guys later. See you. Bye. Bye.
Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think you blew out your mic there. Uh, I can't hear you again. You might have to replug. Yeah. Okay. I think. That can you hear me? Okay, me... there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah, apparently, if I have to cough, I have to remove the entire headset. <laughs> And just hork into the void. <laughs> this is what I get Podcasting. for buying a $10 microphone.